Small businesses are the backbone of America, and they help keep the Texas spirit alive. But did you know as many as 50% will close their doors forever after just five years? Well, we're here to change that. This is the beef. This is the beef. We know how tough it is to be an entrepreneur today. That's why we're giving small business owners a platform to share their stories. You'll hear it all. The highs and the lows, the good and the bad, and everything in between. This is the Beef Podcast, presented by Beefy Marketing in partnership with Community Bank of Texas, an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Oh yeah, y'all welcome back to another episode of The Beef. I'm your host, John Kelly, aka John the Marketer on Instagram. Make sure you're following us there. Check out everything that we share daily. In the studio with me, I've got Troy Garza with 209th Design and Muse 301 in Tomball, Texas. Troy, welcome to the show. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Oh man, it's great to have you. This icebreaker question, we're just going to jump right into it because I think this is hilarious. You and I both, we have a lot of hair on our heads, as you can tell. Uh, now that we're actually doing this on video and audio. So if you're just listening today, make sure you check out our YouTube channel at Beefy Marketing and take a look at the video. You want to see some behind the scenes content, how things look here in our, I guess we can call it Studio A, the first podcast studio we have here. Just see what's going on. But we are bald. You're balder than me, but I just haven't gotten my hair cut in like a week. So I've had a little uh, growth come in here. I don't know about that. I'm not going to split hairs over it, but <laughs> it's, uh, I think we're about even. All right. So the the question is, would you rather for the rest of your life rock a mullet or a ponytail? Man, I would just say a ponytail. And the only reason I say that is it would be, I'm assuming I can do it a couple of different ways. So I could have like a braided. Yeah. Like one day I could have it in a man bun the next day. So I think it's more versatile than, yeah. the, than the mullet. But no offense to the mullet people out there because I, I love it. Now, too. I'll come in and save the fans that are mullet people because... Yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, with the way that the mullet has been making a comeback recently, I've seen some glorious mullets out there, and I'm like, hey, I think I want to rock a mullet, man. It's crazy, because I see kids with it yeah. like, for so long, and I think, you know, I had this conversation with the guys at the shop. The reason I love mullets, like, so much is that they're basically, like, multicultural. Like, Hispanic mm-hmm. guys have mullets. Yeah. Like, you know, I saw the Soul Glow guy had mullets, like, in the, coming to America, but... Yeah, I just can't believe that that trend came back. So what we need to save all the tensions in America right now is for everyone to have mullets. I think it's the great equalizer yeah, at this moment. Everybody right has one. Everybody has one or two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> every every yeah culture, every ethnicity, somebody's got a mullet somewhere. Yeah, and I fell under the deal with, which is crazy. I had a, what they call them like the little rat tails. So oh, I yeah. thought it was like a break no, That's what I had whenever I was growing up. And my hair, the reason I do have hair, but it's so curly that this like, rat tail that I had looked like a little pigtail. Yeah. So the only time that I could get it in its full glory is when I was swimming and it would just be down. Like it would go from like this little thing to just like go out. Yeah. But I'm, I'm hoping that that makes a comeback. Like that's <laughs> what I need my kids to start wearing. Man, when I grew up, I had long blonde hair mm-hmm. and I had a rat tail in the back. It was yeah. kind of a cross between a mullet and a ponytail. Like it was really that kind of look. Right. I don't know. My My mom just, that's how she grew it out, man. And then I got to like third grade and decided, you know what? I don't want hair anymore. So just cut it all off. You've been shaving your head since? Yeah, since third grade. I mean, it's gone right. back and forth. Right. You know, I've never just stayed bald. Right. I went through that phase where I would you know, shove as much product in my hair as I could and then comb it straight back. And wow, man, man, I had some really bad hairstyles back in the day. That could be a podcast on its own. Like yeah. the, the transition of like your your hair. Everybody, I man. We, I think we all go through it. It's crazy. Oh my gosh, man. But as always, every single time before we get all the way into what we're here for today, we do have to stop and talk about Community Bank of Texas. Community Bank of Texas knows that especially now, the experience and availability of your banking partner is crucial and they're here to help your business through it all. They are working diligently to give clients the support that they need during these challenging economic times. And as a business owner, there are a lot of things that keep us up at night. Our bank should not be one of them. When you bank with Community Bank of Texas, you have the freedom to focus on your business commitments instead of worrying about the commitment of your banker. Community Bank of Texas is proudly committed to helping you through everything you have from the short-term hurdles to the long-term growth and countless new directions. Because when it comes to doing business, Community Bank of Texas simply delivers a better banking experience. 
Community Bank of Texas is a foundation you can build your business on for decades to come. Community Bank of Texas, business banking, better banking, member FDIC, equal housing lender. But Troy, 209th Design, Muse 301, right off of Cherry Street in Tomball, Texas. Nice little buildings out Thank there. You. Thank um, you. I appreciate it. Really cool progressive designs. Like it's it's such a neat little space. So, but let's back up like we always do and start with who Troy is and how you kind of got to that point. It was a long process, man. You know, and I think that's what's so inspirational about our story. Like I didn't start painting until I was 39 and I'm 47 now. So basically, you know, when I, when I started off, I only had really one goal. It was kind of like this entrepreneurial spirit. When I was a kid, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just know that I wanted to be the boss. And that was pretty much the only thing that I knew. And thank God I had this like ability to like, basically I was a hard person to have like employed for them. Like I was always questioning things. We could do this better. And it's like a lot of times people will make you feel like, how are you going to ever work like with people? And I said, oh, since I was a kid, I didn't want to work with people. I want to be the boss. And that's kind of how like in the beginning it got started. And then just kind of falling out like, you know, the things that, I was passionate about, which was really important. You know, so most people don't know that, you know, I was a clothing designer for years and me and my mom, you know, she had a shop here in Tomball and I was designing women's clothing. And basically I made the transition into furniture. And I always tell people it's not that hard of a transition. Like with clothing, you know, you're making patterns with woodworking or furniture that we're building, we're making templates. So it's basically the same mathematical process, everything as it is like the garment industry. But it just kind of took on a life of its own where I realized that I love doing clothing. I still think we would get back into it, you know. So when we expand, it's probably going to be something you're going to see coming back into the shop. But furniture was more of a mainstay for a home where clothing was just you wear it a couple of times, put it in the closet. Right. So I felt like it was more of like whatever I wanted to do, I wanted to live with people. Okay. Where were you working? Where did you come from? What did you do? Was it always that clothing? Like, is that how you started or did you have other jobs before? No, I've had so many jobs. I mean, literally, I think that I've been probably fired for more jobs than people have (laughs) had jobs, but I would just take it like, I guess the first thing I was living out in California in Dana Point and my dad, you know, he had a business when we were growing up as kids and it was called BG and Son, like air conditioning. So basically it was like, I was doing service checks, helping him like change out units outside. I understood what it took to, you know, work for yourself at a really young age. But I think that when I first started like to branch out on my own, it started off my dad has an avionic shop out at Hooks Airport. And I worked with him for roughly like nine years. He sold his company and I went into the garment business and started getting into the, you know, into my mom's boutique. I did that for probably about five years and then made the transition into furniture. So I'll probably say like the last, like, you know, little over 20 years of my life, I've been self-sufficient as a business owner. I've kind of gone back and forth as far as, as jobs go. I forget who I was talking to the other day, but we had mentioned that where it was like, it's almost like you have to have, for some of us, you have to have a lot of jobs to realize what you don't want to do. Correct. And, and then you just all of a sudden find out like, Hey, you know what? I thought that I really wanted to work in this industry. And then you get into it and you're like, okay, I don't like that next one. And then you get into that and you're like, man, this seems like it's a lot of fun. And then I don't know, for me, it's like, it is fun at first because anything new, I love trying it. Right. And then once I get into the mix of it, if it doesn't keep my attention, then I'm like, all right, I'm out. So is this a part where you're telling me that's why you quit modeling in Milan? (laughs) So that's why I quit modeling, you know, because (laughs) it just, it was so boring. It was so boring to you. Um, So it's just weird. You know, some of us that become entrepreneurs, it's like, you ask that question, well, what did you do? What did I not do? Right. You know, I've worked pizza. I've worked the jail, fire, EMS, marketing. I worked at a ranch. I used to do floors with my dad at his company. Like I have so many jobs. I worked at the city as a public works tech, you know, back in the Waller days when I grew up and there's just so many jobs. Right. But then it was like, all right, well now I know what I don't like. You know? So if I'm ever at that point where I have to go, you know, apply to job again, at least I know where not to go. Right. Exactly. So your companies that you have now, right. how did you get to that point? How did you start them? Prior to this, I had a company called Ninth Hour Furniture. And that's when I realized that I actually fell in love with this whole philosophy of like painting and, and changing things. That company 
ran its course. We were more, I guess to say we were in this warehouse, it was about 3,000 square feet, and we were just like painting furniture, doing everything that you kind of see like what we're doing now. The issue is we had no storefront. So the storefront, what I found was that correlation that people would normally pay the price at a store. And when they would come to our workshop, it was kind of like, oh, you know, you have no overhead. Maybe we, you know what I mean? It was kind of like all these things. And I was like, wow, you know, I thought the work was like great, but I just found that there wasn't like this couldn't really be taken serious legitimately without the shop. So Mm -hmm. we basically decided, you know, the blessing was we did everything backwards. So I understood production, what I could get out how many pieces I could paint. And it wasn't like how much pieces I'm painting, like in this big building, it was like per square footage. I have what we do down to a science. Yeah. So I knew that we had bought a house here in 2007, the first shop. And I worked with the city to convert it over to a commercial property. And then we just kind of went from there and then COVID happened, which was like kind of crazy. Yeah, man, it um, really came in through a wrench for a lot of people. So yeah, but that's kind of the backstory going into the shops. And I just realized that, my mom wanted to go in that direction with furniture. So that's kind of like the big focus that we did. And then customer service. So, you know, I always say like our work is so detailed, like it's so detailed that you don't notice the details mm-hmm. until you dissect it. But that's how our relationship is with our clients that come in and people that are just window shopping or just walking in. I get to, it's about the details that I get to tell my story and then get to know something about them. Sometimes they can inspire me with a story. Like, you know, you've inspired me a little bit with yours that I can basically turn around and put it into the work. So I'm mm-hmm. constantly learning, but I have to learn from people and you know what their passions are. And basically if you were to tell me your passion was like to start a podcast and these types of things, it's kind of like if we ever have to build a table for a podcast, I kind of already know the feelings of what people need where I didn't even know that they existed until like 10 minutes ago. Right. right. I've been in the furniture business a long time. Yeah. I, I mean, there's so many innovative things out there. Right. And it's definitely something, you know, of course, our listeners and now viewers didn't get to see. But when you came in, we were taking this big, huge hunk of a table, which is an excellent conference table. Right. And we're like, all right, cool. Let's spin it around and turn our conference room into more of a podcast studio than we already have with the acoustic panels and all that stuff. And then it's like, man, there's so many things about this table that could change to make this better. Right. You know, so I don't know. I think Andrew needs to have you working on that. I think so too. And I think uh, he was telling me the other company that he looked at and they have like beautiful stuff. And I think that what we wind up, you know, wanting people to know that most people, if they have no knowledge of it. So like if I were to talk to him and he would say, oh, these guys and they build tables, like in my mind, like even if I saw the picture, I could give him a ballpark of probably what that's going to cost. Most people, they don't understand the word custom. And they don't understand mm-hmm. that if you talk about like, you know, a lot of times when ha- someone has a custom car, some people will think like, man, they just waste a lot of money putting it into this car. But then when you start looking at a Rolls Royce or a Ferrari, you don't realize that those are custom cars, but they basically come in a way that you need it, but you already know the price is there. Right. And a lot of times that's the big difference where people think stuff is custom and not realizing that you know, their stuff is custom made for you. And, yep. and that's where the price like, comes in, but. Yeah, no, custom made for you is definitely something a lot of people, myself included, at first, before I really understood it, you think custom and you just think, oh, I customized it. Yeah. You know, like I got this table and it's a standard table, but then I put this design on it. I It's custom now, right, but it's right. like, no, it wasn't custom made for you. You yeah. just customized it. You customized it with the options that were available. You could come in and tell me like an exact dimension what you need to get out of this table that you want. And we bring in those elements to make it work. We have all the guys that are there from woodworkers, metal fabricators, you know, refinishers like myself, like painters. So the cost is relatively low compared to like what, you know, your friend had seen, but a lot of times, you know, people have to outsource it. So I know guys that make awesome kitchen cabinets. And when they go into a home, people love them. They're like, Oh my God, these cabinets are so beautiful. And this, these guys did them and not realizing that those Mm -hmm. guys built them, but subcontracted them out to guys like us that we basically make them look the way that they go in there. And a lot of times that's what I felt with our shop is basically giving the notoriety for the people that are there. You've been to our shop and you see how we interact with each other. Sometimes I'm the leader of a project. Sometimes there's other guys that are leaders of the project and we work as a team because there's no egos I always tell people too, it's kind of like when you get like two great fighters, they don't talk about who's greater. They'll talk about the love and passion of what they do. Greatness is like this custom job that we all have to work together with our personalities. And I wish that, you know, 
you know, being on shows like this, I can relay that to people that it's more of like custom is a lifestyle. And basically when you see like the rich and famous, it's like, they're pretty much getting like a toilet paper dispenser, like customized. You know what I mean? It could yeah. be any little thing, but to me, like for something to be custom means that it's a unique piece of art, no matter what it is. So if you're delivering a show and it's like turning this table and you realize that it's going to make the show better, that is like living art. And that's kind of what we, what we specialize in. Absolutely. So whenever I come into your shop, just tell me what, what I'm going to see, what I can buy, what I can have made, what's available to me as a customer. So if you come into the shop, the one thing that I, I tell people, it's like, if you're out there, if you're listening to the, the show is to come into the shop, you can't sell the experience. The experience is like, you actually have to be there. So it's like, I love like, you know, watching sports, but like, if you see a Super Bowl on TV and then there's a person that talks about yeah. the Super Bowl when they're there, that's what our shop is. I'm not saying it's a Super Bowl, but when you come in there, I want people to know that what they're getting is basically stuff that's like locally done here in Tomball. But more than that, it's a shop that has creativity with different artists that work with me. And then realizing whatever it is that they see, it's kind of like this real life Pinterest. Is that what Pinterest? Yeah, yeah, yeah like Pinterest, a bunch of pictures. Of, pictures so, yeah. and, I, and basically a lot of our custom work starts off with somebody, see these pictures here, you see this. And a lot of times what I realized is that when we started doing the epoxy tables, people would show me pictures of these tables that they loved. And the correlation that I found was no one had ever seen one in person. They were like these unicorns that, you know, people yeah. talk about, but they had never seen it or touched it. So we did one for uh, Prezac Financial. I'm going to throw a plug out there. Hey, go ahead, there yeah. too. I put my money there. All my $3 is with this guy. But we did a table for him and we were delivering it into the lobby. We're talking about like this place is in the woodlands, swanky place. And people were stopping us to touch this table. Like they had never seen it. And then I realized <laughs> like, I was like, man, we see this every day. It's not that big of a deal to us, but that's what we want for people to come in the shop to actually see things that are attainable yeah, and uh, stuff that you just dream about, like on the internet. And I think that's what our shop is down to like, you know, we make our own jewelry, all the furniture is done by us. Anything that you see with the woodworking, we have a wood shop there at the shop. We do upholstery and then lacquer refinishing. And when people realize it's kind of like how the gallery furniture, if you go in there and you see mattress Mac, it kind of blows my mind that the guy's still in his shop. Yeah. When people walk in, they see the guys that are doing the work in our shop. And I, think that that's the allure what I would want people to come in that they're walking into a a certain period of time where you have a lot of great guys working together and not guys just running a shop but guys working to make this all function is my main goal so like when you ask what I would want people to expect when they come in there things change but I just want people to expect the best quality that they're going to get for their money yeah what other things can I buy there? Because I know it's not just furniture. Yeah, just furniture. Yeah. So, you know, we have jewelry. We have Meow Clark that designs jewelry. We have a girl coming in that we're about to launch, Ashley Adams, that she's going to make a collection for the 209 shop, like with me. So I'm kind of setting up the displays and things that we're going to do. So jewelry is one of them in art. You know, canvas art, I feel, is something that was important to me when I started a year ago. Most people have opinions on art, but they don't really see it in person either. So we're trying to do stuff, you know, that's affordable and attainable for people as an investment. Upholstery is nothing they can expect when they come in. So if we see anything that we upholster, I normally upholster it the way that I like things. So it has a different feel to it. We can upholster things the way you like things, but that pretty much encompasses everything that's there. And then what I consider custom work is, you know, on the back end of our shop, which you don't see in the shop is if you had a dresser or if you had a chest drawer and you want things redone, we do that as well with the custom work that doesn't go into our shop, but goes directly to the clients. For sure. What kind of turnaround time do you have on stuff? I know, obviously, yeah. that's a loaded question, right. but it on is. average, what are you seeing? You know, on average, if, if it comes into like, you know, let's just say a dresser, standard dresser is probably going to be anywhere from like 56 to like 72 inches like wide. You're probably looking about a week and a half to two weeks to, to have those done. But if we have orders, like there's been times that the shops have 14 custom orders and wow. we're maintaining everything else, then you can look about, you know, four to six weeks on there. But, you know, we normally run things like by color. So if like you brought something in, even though you brought it in last, but I'm paying a whole right. bunch of stuff that's white, we can have a tendency to move it, but we still finish them in the deadlines. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense because busting out the paint or stain or something like that. That's yeah. totally dissimilar to what you're doing. Right. I'd imagine it'd be a pain in the butt and it could also just add time to, you know, have to switch all that stuff out, paint brushes. And it does. And I know that 
it's, I mean, there's times too that, you know, clients have come to us in a, in a super bind that they're having like a party or something like that. So there's been times that we've taken a full dresser and literally at the shop for 24 hours and had it back to them the next day. And that's kind of like the turnaround time, but you know, we're dedicated to that. If, if it's in my ability to be able to do what it is they ask, what I've learned as like an entrepreneur, there's a lot of people that take pride in their business, but tend to neglect the people who got them there. The client to me, I'm not saying they're always right, but they're always right on the way that they feel with what they want from you. And that's kind of like, you know, if we can do it, we can do it. And there's been times that we have. So, yeah, that's, I mean, we'll, that's fair enough. Yeah. We, we've done several things here, you know, similar story like, hey, we got this party coming up and we need some shirts made and embroidered right. and all that stuff. Can you get it done? And it's like, Man, uh, first of all, right. <laughs> uh, when you pay, understand it may come the day after the party. But right. I think I think we can get it done, you know. And we have no problem doing yeah. that, like you said, rushing things when I can. But I'm assuming, uh, you know, of course, at the time we recorded this, it's the day before Thanksgiving. Right. I can't bring my dining room table in tonight and get that done by tomorrow. Then you're right, a little, right. little uh, quick there, right? <laughs> it's quick. I mean, right now we're, we're turning out at the shop. We've got a Chester drawer that we've got to drop off today, yeah. and so much. Ref- on the weather, I always feel like I got to be a good oh, weatherman with like God. paint because it's like we have to either like lacquer is a different style of paint. You have chalk paints and that's what most people are used to. It's easy to stick your paintbrush in the can and just start like painting. And then you can get like a blow dryer and start like, you know, heating things up. When it comes to like lacquer refinishing, everything's sprayed. If the temperature is really humid, you've got to use like they call them retardants to slow the process mm-hmm. down to paint. It's like there's just so many factors in there. But since I've been doing it for so long, it's kind of like that old man, like my elbow's kind of hurting right yeah. now. I know this with the here, but it's the same thing. There's like this science that's doing it. And sometimes the only thing that can really like slow us down is if the weather is just raining, muggy, horrible. Well, that doesn't happen in Houston area. No, so that's we're good. lucky that we live here in the, yeah. the paradise this, oasis. We yeah, call it this Tom weather Ball. out here is beautiful, man. Yeah. There's no rain and mugginess ever. Never, never, never. <laughs> Oh, it seems like the weather is just always changing, I yeah. guess. And that's why I don't grow my hair out, man. I just don't want to deal with all the, the, the frizz like and, and all that kind of well, stuff. And if, if, you know, studs like us had long hair, we'd take all the women away from all the other guys. And then, uh, you know, it wouldn't be fair. So it's not. And that's like. And we're married men. You know, know. we can't have women loving married. us with our hair and how studly we look. You know, I love my wife, Becky. With my <laughs> hair. I don't want you know, this to go unnoticed. But yeah, you're right. It's kind of like, I feel bad for the other guys who got to try so hard. And then yeah. we just, just laid it back here. That's yeah. why I'm bald. That's that, what I'm going to say. I always, when you got talent, you don't need hair. That's like, <laughs> that's the the main thing. You know, you got the rock. He's like the epitome of bald guys right now. And before him, it was Vin Diesel. And then, you know, my childhood hero was uh, Teddy Savalas, which was Kojak. Bald guys have been rocking it forever, man. Wow, we kill it. It's it, yeah. it, man. So we're yeah. here. There's so much that goes into your shop with how much that you have going on. It's like, I don't know where to go next on the questions. You know, let's start with the campers you have on the property. Obviously that's what kind of brought me to there. Right. Right. You know, know, and people don't realize everything that we do. So I always tell people that we have such a good team for everything that we do that I I still think to guys, like when I get frustrated, like, you know, working on furniture and it does happen, you know, I'm not perfect. I mean, we should just shut this down and just do campers. You know what I mean? It's like, we can just go in and we can make awesome stuff, but the campers, it's called uh, Henry's. So I don't know if you saw the like, Henry was there, a little a dog that my sister has. And it's kind of, the oh, mas- yep. it's kind of the mascot for Henry's, but it's a 1956 Spartan. So it looks like a camper, but it's more like a mobile home, but it's a full cigar. Or, you know, we have our cigar license. So we sell cigars out of there. It's a place that we can rent out. So the whole spot, like I feel like with those campers, just make everything look cool. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of vintage. And we have a 1969 Shasta that's out there right now. We have an artist that's painting in there. So we have everything like kind of done up to set this like mood. And, you know, I love campers, but I don't like camping, but I right. mean, I like making them look cool. So yeah, it makes sense. Now that's one thing we had talked about was doing the podcast in there. Cause you know, yeah. I, the way you have it set up, we have to like explain for our listeners. It's just imagine like a speakeasy with a little cigar lounge on one side. You've got couches and a couple of tables and really cool stuff. And then on the other side, imagine just a small little kind of wraparound bar and you've got refrigerator, kegerator, all that kind of stuff in it. And so it's available for rent, right? For rent. Yeah. So people want to have a party and that's the thing too, you know, 
I like having parties. I just don't like cleaning up. I don't like, you know, I just, it just so much goes into it. It's so stressful and on top of everything that you're doing. But yeah, so it's just something that someone can come in. And like I said, it's like we talked about earlier, we can do it. We can customize a party if that's what you want. Or if you want to do a theme for the 1950s, we can put out like 1950s, like furniture. We can have stuff out there like couches, you know, and everything that kind of goes together. I feel like parties make memories. And then I think a lot of times, you know, when we were kids, our memories were on VHS tapes. We had to pop in and do all those kind of things where I think that a lot of times, you know, if you can take that up a notch, I think it doesn't separate you from a party thrower. It just makes something that people will always remember. And that's what I've loved about furniture, what I loved about clothing, that sometimes people can just reflect back on a certain period of time. And it could be like, I remember wearing this dress. I remember like this piece of furniture that my grandmother had. And I think the same thing with parties. It's like basically making a memory that lasts. So what about, cause I, I agree with that hundred percent, you know, of course I've talked to you about the table that I have yeah. and it's a dining room table. My grandmother bought this, I think in the seventies when she was building or just built her house, it's solid wood. It's heavy as hell. I love it. Beautiful table, but that's what I like about it is having it in my house. It brings me back to when I used to walk up to that second story of grandma Jean's house right. and then walk in directly to this huge table, you know, probably close to this size that we're sitting at a nice big six person table. And you just open up that door. And then it was like Christmas morning or Thanksgiving or whatever it was. You're at grandma's. Yeah. It kind of brings me back. But of course now things have changed and I still like the colors, but I'm just nostalgic like that. My wife hates it. You know, she wants, she loves the table, but she wants it to be refinished. And uh, man, three kids have destroyed that table. Yes. uh, Moving. It has moved to other homes before it made it to mine. And then we have moved it since then. So it's like banged up and has that kind of stuff. But what if I break a chair? Can you custom create items to closely match? Yeah, we we could definitely do that. Chairs, you know, it's one of those things that each chair is really unique. And that's like, you know, you have like your chair sitting out here. And if you went, you know, to our shop, you know, we have chairs. They all have the same function, but they all tell a story differently with the style. And so, yes, we can do like the, you know, recreating things that the people want like as well. I mean, there's times that like people want something done like exact where it's got to be like that specific species of wood and it's got to be this. We can do that. It just does take longer. It's like, you know, you can't rush trying to find certain things. Like if people have like some exotic, like purple heart wood or some sort of like, you know, mahogany, Brazilian mahogany, it's like locating the stuff to do that. That's where it, it takes some time, but we definitely can, can do that. That's awesome. Well, I mean, I guess, how do we support you? You know, we've talked about where to find you, but what works best for supporting your business? To me, it's letting people know that we're here. I love telling the story of our shop and what it means to us and how personal it is. And it's like, if you get that feeling and you can relay that to someone else to go there, I want it to feel like we're everyone's welcome. And a lot of times, you know, I've been on both sides of the fence where I've had no money. And there's been times that I have like a lot of money that sometimes it's not about the money. It's about the customers and the clients coming in and then being able to tell them the history of certain things. Or like, you know, if we did that table for you, how it just, it brings you back in that time that you can basically preserve and continue that with your kids. I always say that you don't have that nowadays. Like if, you know, I don't hear people like throwing plugs for Ikea all the time or places like that. That's what, how people can support us just by talking about us saying, this is what we do some of the artists that we have, you know, I think Adam wanted to be on the the show, like, you know, here in the future, you know, other artists like our metal fabricators, like John Cobb, that stuff kind of like where people know the personalities that go into certain things and realizing that 209th really is, it's more than like a store, it's a home because we're in the home furnishing business. And I think that the number one thing that makes a home a home is the people that are in there. So I'd rather build a relationship with people. And then, like I said, you know, there's no insult if people can't afford something because I've been there, but we also take payment plans, you know, and it's not payment plans. Like, okay, you got to finance this. And then you have like a certain third party that collects. It's more on like a handshake deal. If you can afford $25 a month, then we will go ahead and we'll get this done and, and go from there. I believe that it's um with our shop that everyone's welcome from any economical 
background right that we can cater to that and that's something that i don't see many custom shops doing because like a lot of the times you know there is one thing to work for something really hard like you know a new home or whatever people do and i don't knock the work you know for you know people doing that right but there's a whole lot more people that can't afford something and i'd rather say that it's like if i can make a dream possible then why would I want you just to be dreaming your whole life to become something to get this? Like you basically are good enough for us to do work for. You don't have to work so hard to pay us to basically notice you. And that's really what our shop boils down to is that it like evens the level, like the playing field. I don't see any shops doing that. And I see a lot of like self promotion of shops where I always say that we want to promote the people who come in through our doors because they're the real heroes. Like to me, they're the ones that allow me to get up or in the morning to go to work. It's really the the clients. Yeah. And that's powerful. I mean, you know, like you said, most of the time, if you go to furniture shops or mechanic shops or anywhere and you need to get work done or you want to have something done, if they finance you, then for sure you're using that third party app and there's yeah. terms and conditions and high interests and there is, you know, all that stuff. So that's definitely cool because I think the shop probably stands for a little bit more than like you said, just making a piece of furniture for that, right. that house or office or whatever it is. It's a story, yeah. you know, it's art. I mean, when you walk through, when we went through your shop, 209th design, it was like, everything was so detailed to right. match and to look good. But then it all stands alone on its own as well. That's the whole thing, you know, like working together, it has a certain feel to it. But each thing that I always say that anything that I touch, whether it was going to be this table, whether it was going to be your mic stand, whatever it is, whatever it is that we do to get you your finished product, I always say is strong enough to stand alone. And then when you combine it with this on top of a table that we did, then everything kind of like details and accents things out and realizing that everything served a purpose for this. That's what people normally, I'm not saying they miss it like at our shop, but sometimes when it becomes so obvious, it's overlooked. And a yeah. lot of times, like, and I say, like, whenever I redo the hinges on a door, people are like, oh my gosh, did you change the hinges out? Because they're gold and the piece to the existing hinges, you just never saw them because they blended in and not realizing that there was probably somebody back in the twenties designing hinges. We basically overlooked his work. Yeah. So now it's like we highlight everything with it. And that's what I feel that, you know, I'm glad that you noticed that when you came in, that's probably one of the biggest compliments that we have, but you know, we took the time to show you around to do this and we yeah. don't just do that because you know, you're a big shot, beefy podcast guy. <laughs> um, no, Y'all didn't have a clue who I was no, when I walked in, I you know, and the second that I walked in, it was okay. Well, yeah, cool. You need to come out here and meet my brother, the, yeah. you know, one of the owners and mm -hmm. get to know him. And then let's find out. And all I told her, it wasn't like, Hey, you need to come meet the owner because you're beefy marketing. You have a podcast or we, right. we all want to have us on. It was to talk about that piece of furniture because, you know, that's something we want to get done. Right. And it was just like, yeah, come out to the shop and see. And you're of course over there just elbow deep in whatever you were doing at that point, probably right. staining or painting or something. Right, I was painting. All right, cool. Let me stop what I'm doing and show you around my shop and show you all these things we have and tell the story. So I would say my biggest encouragement to the listener would be get by that shop and take a look because it's so cool to see what y'all do. Yeah. You yeah. know, and then of course buy something when you're there. It is. And like I said, you know, and to me, it didn't make a difference if you were the richest guy in the world. It's like we treat everyone with the same tour. Yeah. It's like, and I'm just excited to tell you about it is I'm excited to tell a five-year-old kid that comes in there and wants to learn about woodworking or something like that. You know, it's still like, I feel it's an honor to be that way. But then realizing that, you know, when you talked about like the third parties and the financing type things, I know what it's like to be, a, you know, a certain way to think like, wow, that's a great deal. And then, you know, like, man, in three years, this, like people don't realize that a lot of times they finance something. It's a really high finance rate. Then they pay that with a credit card or with another finance thing. Uh, so it's like whatever yeah. it is. And that's how, normally how it works. And there's like, I've done it. So there's nothing wrong with it. That's what I'd feel like. I want to get paid for my work. I don't want to get paid for taxing you on my work. And that's why, you know, when I started the, the payment plans, like if it was like, you know, $1,600, you pay me $1,600. Not like the people like, you know, when I make my first payment, it all goes to the principal of this and not even to the, whatever. You know, there's all these things that people talk about. To me, it's kind of, I think it diminishes the reason why I do it. 
And I feel that the price is fair because it's a pure price for what we did. Yeah. Not like this, oh, it's great to move stuff. But I don't think that, like, to me, it sustains anything long term. It just means that someone's going to have to, like a car. It's very rare that people just own their cars outright. They basically become upside down, go in, refinance, and it's this trend for the rest of their life. Yeah. I don't want people to be in debt for my work. You know, I want them to have it in the house and appreciate it. But I don't want them to ever be a fight over money in a relationship over something that I created. I want it to be like something that, that, peace in the that, house. that peace is that all I want. And when I say that peace, it also causes peace, which is like, yeah. like peace when it's like pay for it. Cause you have a sense of peace when you have it paid for. Absolutely. So. I mean, it's financial troubles, man. It's probably one of the biggest struggles. And, and like you said, it was just having that item there can bring so much peace, but not if you're walking by and every time you see it, you're like, man, I'm paying you know, 1600 for it plus interest, interest plus fees, plus everything else, you know, so that makes sense. So, yeah. So the clients are lucky that I grew up broke my whole <laughs> life to understand that type of stuff. You know, my mom yeah, always told me it's she, rough. It is. It, it really is. And I remember, you know, before my mom had died, that's what she had said. She's like, it's not to bust your bubble. It's just to realize that if you didn't do what you did, you couldn't afford what you to buy what you're, what you're doing. And it just always stuck with me that I just felt like, you know, that's the difference. Like, you know, I think that if you were to have a store full of like knickknacks or like kind of like gift shop type setting type things where there's like a $5 item and there's this, it's only going to be a mass produced item with us. It's still, do we have stuff at $5 for the shop? You know, we have stuff that we on jewelry that we basically can discount down. Cause I was laughing cause my sister had like this jewelry that we we're trying to, you know, move like seasonal stuff. And it was like $3. And then I realized how many people bought it. And then I started laughing because when I told people, it's like, man, it's like, it makes me happy that you got it even at that price. Because I remember when it came in, how we were just so excited that it was there. And then thinking like, oh, now we're just trying to get rid of it. You know right. what I mean? So there's all this like different processes that you see. And sometimes, you know, it's like, it's always, like I said, the the client that dictates certain things. You know, I don't ever want people to come in. And say like, oh my gosh, you guys are just so outrageously expensive. I can't ever, you know, afford this. People, when they really find out like our pricing, they'll realize that we're basically under market value for what we do. And then, you know, people will say, well, okay, well, you're in Tomball. You're in this small town. People, you know, this type of thing. I don't think that the town dictates the talent that it takes to produce something. Right. So to me, it's kind of like for all intents and purposes, we could be the best guys in the world at this, but it's like, you shouldn't knock our hometown for where this is. It should be making you want to come and visit the other shops that are around here. And that's, what's important to me too. Like if I have a platform for anything, I always say, come to my shop because it's, it's an experience to itself, but don't overlook my friend shops on the way to yeah. my shop. And a lot of times, you know, that's the bad part that, you know, when you start growing into certain places, like, you know, you never see the, the negative side of things, you know, like I want our shop to be really big one day and I want people to come over. But then, like I said, you know, sometimes people look at Chip and Joanne Gaines, like in Waco and they have like the silos there, they have all this stuff. They've worked so hard and you appreciate that. But are there stories of businesses that had to close because of like, you became this destination that everybody just went straight to and mm. now looked at everything else. Yeah. So there's always this downside to certain things where that's what I felt with our teams that I think that one day we will split up, but we're only splitting up to basically do what we're doing and we're still going to do it on a different act. Like we'll still collaborate just in a different way. I feel like my thing is I don't need a guy to work with me forever. I need a guy to get strong enough that could go do what we're doing and like basically keep showing the public that we're more than this one trick pony that just painted furniture. We're right. guys that were craftsmen that could basically, you know, like I, I talked to a lady one day and she said, you know, do you realize that like if you had a time machine and you went back, all you guys would still be valuable working, doing the same thing. And I never really thought about that. Yeah. And that's what I thought, you know, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. Like if you were to go back into like, even something that's like 1989, there were no chalk painters then. They didn't come out until like 1990. Like, you know, so there's certain things that what we've been doing or the, or the way that we do it, 
it's still something that has this longevity. And that's the thing with your furniture. It's like it's played its course out the way that it was. Your wife might not like it. Right. But I know that if it's to the shop, we can get enough, let your grandkids deal with like that. That's how long I think it'll last. So they'll say, For sure. we didn't like the color they picked out, but the table's still valuable. Like to them, I, I guarantee people that if we have a piece of furniture, I don't care what it is, I'll put it up against like an Ikea piece and still think like in 50 years, our stuff will still look as good as it did on the showroom floor where the other ones just don't, you right. know, but nobody cares about that anymore. They just care about now. And I mean, you know, there's definitely a time and a place for Ikea furniture. There is. They make some really great stuff that you can use in a pinch. You can use short term or Correct. for some weird, funny functionality that you needed to do, like folding up into the wall or folding back up right. into a couch. Or, but right. when it comes to something that you want to last and be an heirloom. Cause that's the thing. My grandma passed that down to me mm. and I, I do, I want to pass that down to my children and yeah, maybe they're going to stain it and maybe they're going right. to repaint it. Maybe they're going to refinish it, but it'll still be that same table where all of a sudden we're talking about, you know, 50, 60, 70 years from now. And our kids are like, Oh yeah, way back in 1970. Can I know. You imagine. I know, man. And that's what's so funny that, even my own kids think that the 1970s is like literally like my 1800s. Like yeah. they think it's that far back that even my kid asked me the other day, like when I started seeing in color and I'm thinking like, well, everything was in black. And I'm thinking like, I was born actually 74. <laughs> Things were already in color yeah. like back then. But it's just funny how different generations like see things, but it's like, I don't ever take offense to it or feel old with that. I just feel like the greatest part like with that is that, they're seeing things differently and changing certain things. You can't reinvent the wheel. And we had talked, there was a client that came in and I say this to tell you, cause it kind of explains like the shop. They asked me how my work was different than other people's work. And I said that basically where other people stop is where we start off. And basically like if, let's just say if you did furniture and you don't do the hardware or you don't redo the hinges, like these types of things. And I would say like, this is how we do the furniture because this guy doesn't do this. And this is what sets us apart from this. I feel like the only way that someone can change our furniture is if they add something to it, not say like, well, everybody likes the hinges tarnished now and these types of things. So I feel that it's not the longevity of certain things. It's something that's like classic and timeless. So when you see things like a tuxedo, like, you know, I always use that as an example, but a tuxedo, in all intents and purposes, if you were to go look in the 1920s and look at one now, you would know that they're tuxedos and they look very similar. Like in right. the 70s, the lapels changed. You know, they were a little bit like bigger, like you know, on the the legs. But in all actuality, a kid would know what a tuxedo is by looking at those pictures. You know, yep. and I feel with our furniture, we want it to be like the tuxedo or the you know the black dress that women have that lasts longer. That you can basically incorporate a design around. When people talk about design, you were, you hit it right on the money. When something is like you're picking out for something, I never go to a coloring book and the, you know, you get the watercolor and just get it wet. And then it turns the color that you need and then say, oh, I'm an artist because I didn't pick out the color. Somebody else already had them there. It's when something's designed and custom for you, there's more of like this in-depth conversations that you have. Like, you know, what do you want in your space? What colors do you, or, you know, do you exist in like you don't want to change the wall color here. So we're going to have to do this like to make it work. Right. Um, so it looks close enough that it matches you know, yeah, somewhat. Yes. And I think to me, like something that's custom, like the furniture to me is like family. Like it really takes on a life of its own. I feel like we put a soul into what we're doing with your family. If you were, if I were to walk into your house, I would not like, just like look around and go like, Oh my God. Like, so the guy that I know like lives like here normally, like, my goal is, or what I see like custom is like the pieces that we do look like they belong there. And that's what a real family is. Like you feel like you belong to something. So to me, custom work belongs to the person because it's for them, but it doesn't look out of place in their home. And a lot of times, like I try you know, tell people, you know, when they have like chalk painted pieces or an oil based like painted stuff and they, and our stuff comes into someone's house, sometimes it looks like the rich uncle nobody wants around. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? It's like, oh, they think they're better than us or these types of things. And it's not that way. It's just that you structured everything else around, not including that uncle that comes in. Yeah. Where I said, you know, that uncle wouldn't look out of place if you just did like that flower arrangement like different or if you put a lacquer piece like frame above it, it can work in there. It's just that I've seen that with paints, it's so segregated into like – 
shop painters don't like lacquer paint. You know, I sit there, I'm a lacquer refinisher, but I respect every th- aspect of it. It's the closest thing that I can say that it's like is if people have ever seen cars painted is exactly how our furniture is painted. It's just a different paint that we're using, but it's still the high-quality paint guns, this type of stuff. If you wanted me to paint something with a brush, I have probably done over 3,000 pieces of furniture since I've started, and more than half of those were with a brush. So it's like I know how to do that when people just see the surface-level stuff and yeah. not, like, not realizing everything it took for me to – to get there that's killer man so do y'all have social media or anything like like that that we can support yes you can go to 209 designs on instagram also on facebook we have uh you know 209 designs you just type that in and then 209designs.com and you can see our website and then muse is a shot that we just opened up a little over two months ago it's more of our statement pieces a lot of the bold colors and you can look that up as well just muse 301 texas okay best way to get a hold of you you can contact the guys at Beefy Marketing. They handle. They handle. They can get a hold of me anytime. No, uh, walk in the shop. I'm there pretty much seven days a week. They can talk to me. We have our shop number, but normally it's like people that call and they don't get a hold of us, you know, or get a hold of me. Or if my sister says, you know, he's working right now, you, you can just show up. Yeah, and I'll be there. You know, and if I'm not there, I'm literally just grabbing a coke or something like that and honestly to all the listeners it's it's so worth the stop over yeah. there at the shop it's really it's like going into a collection of art you know there's yeah. so much to see and so many pieces and every piece has a story and and then the banter back and forth you know between all y'all up there and we're then, roasters that's yeah. that's we and it's like, it's the only way that we can get humble with ourselves because we'll have guys like you in there that he's like former models with you know like you know this <laughs> hidden hair agenda but it's like we'll basically that's what we'll do we'll just roast each other and then yeah. it's like so funny because it can come out of nowhere and a lot of times i think that the guys like conspire like against me to like say something but i think i've been roasting now for probably like 30 years of my life you know and i just love it adon takes the brunt of it but it's like, we love him so much. That's what I told him. I go, if I just came in and didn't talk about you, then you'd probably like, what, what's Break wrong with you? Break down and cry. Like yeah. on there. And that's the funny thing with like, I remember we watched like George Lopez one time and he had said, it's like, sometimes the greatest insecurity becomes like a nickname and this. So, you know, it's just kind of, but we just do it with, with love. But yeah, we'll, we'll roast and we'll roast in front of our clients. Oh like, yeah. Too. So yeah. it makes, we're, we're always the same. And that's like the the beauty of it. So the one that we call like Ugly John, which is really like Handsome John, it's so funny that it's like he has like when people meet him and I tell him, oh, you got to meet Ugly John. It's like they're all like, <laughs> OK. And then this guy looks like he's straight out of like a model. He reminds me of like a cross between like Harry Styles, just in better shape. And then it's like every woman that sees him at the shop like. Like, why do y'all call him Ugly John? It's like, don't, don't worry, don't worry about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, it is. But hey, that's you may name. think he looks sexy, but to us, he's ugly. He's ugly. <laughs> you have not looked at me without my makeup on. It's like, uh, we're like basically, uh, but just a group of guys, like I said, that, that love each other. And like I said, I would love for you guys to have them on there because they're actually, it's kind of like the Three Stooges, but basically high functioning and basically are special. Like they specialize in something so great that it's like you never even realize how good they are. And I think that's like the true definition of greatness is greatness is discovered after the guys are gone. And then realizing like when people, that's when you notice the details, right? Like right. They did this. And that's how with the group of guys that we have that individually we work and we're overlooked a lot of the times. But if you had each one of them on the show, you'd feel, you'd see how great they are. And we all have a philosophy and we have, you have to have a philosophy to work with me. If I ask you why you do this and you say something like, you know, I did it because, you know, money and this, yeah. that is not a philosophy. That's something that you would, if you didn't make money, you would quit. Yeah. You know I mean? mean, to me, if they're coming in and instantly just making money off of what they're doing, yeah, they've either got ill intentions or right. sometimes, don't get me wrong, the product may be so good or the service may be so good that the money just appears right out of nowhere. Right. But a lot of times it's kind of a slow going, getting to know people, you know, something that I've learned here in Tomball is being that resource first. Yeah. That way you get in touch with everybody and you are proving that you're a valued member of the community before you start selling to them. Right. right. Because you have to show, like you said, that you have that philosophy. And I think that's important because I wouldn't want to work with anybody who doesn't treat their customers right or treat their employees right or 
know, yeah. there's a, a standard value that I have before I'm even willing to make money with you. Yeah. It's something that's like very common, like in our group. And I think that that's what a creative person or an artistic person has is they have a philosophy of what they're doing and why I don't have to figure that out. Like, you know, I don't wake up in the morning and people, you know, ask me like, so what really drives you in the morning? What inspires you? And what inspires this? You know, what inspires me is like, if I sat down and did a dream board or I did something like that, that I might miss somebody while I'm trying to come up with my own stuff, realizing that it might be the person that walks in the door that needs me, that's going to inspire me for something else. And it's just, it's showing up. And to me that my main philosophy is like, you know, if you come to our shop, you know, I have like painted on our doors or our workshop, it says work hard. And most people say, oh yeah, working hard is good yeah. every day. That's like underneath it. And most people think working hard is like, well, you work hard and then you get rewarded. There's some truth to that, but you have to work hard consistently. And to me, it's like the everyday part. And again, it's a philosophy. It's working hard every day is not about like just producing something. The everyday part means that it's like you can basically invest in somebody else. Like mm -hmm. the, me working, you know, harder means that I can, if money is being made, I can put that into an artist that I really appreciate that needs that start. And I always say that, you know, people th talk about artists like they're starving artists. There's a lot of people that are very good artists that have to settle. Like when I hear things like, well, you know, I got to take a job doing this because this dream isn't really coming out the way that I need to. Other artists need to pick up other artists. And that's an everyday thing. Not like whenever I feel like a thing. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. So I just want to encourage our listeners and now our viewers with our Nice little Samsung, Samsung uh, yeah, kind of messed Samsung up if here. you're out there. Uh, <laughs> you know, we need sponsorships. We want money for the sponsorship. Okay. It could have been an LG, but we chose not <laughs> on that one. Um, I can't thank you enough for coming here and sharing oh, your story. It, you know, I knew the second I walked through those doors and I walked that property and, and met with you that it was going to be a worthwhile connection. Can't thank you enough for coming out here and sharing it. I hope the people stop by and meet you, hear that story right. firsthand from you, and then buy something while you're there. You know, I'm right. definitely going to be putting you to work on some yeah. projects for me. So I'm excited for that. And and I guarantee you it won't be the conversation that I had with the, what's the guy's name that you keep in the back over there? Andrew. Andrew yeah, over there. This guy. The yeah. We put all the good looking guys out in the back, but <laughs> it's like with the the table that he was talking about, you know, and, and realizing pricing, like we're not doing that to you. Like I said, you know, we'd rather do something that if it helps and it's something that that's the investment that we do. Yeah. Like for it. So definitely come down to the shop and we'll talk about that. We'll bang something out for you guys. Sounds good. Check out their shop, check out our website, check out the uh, beefy marketing website, share everything that you can with all of your friends. Thank you all for tuning in every single Thursday for a new episode. I really can't thank you enough for being here. Hopefully this YouTube thing is going to stick around and we'll start putting some of these as video content on YouTube. Once the episode launches, if you like it, let us know in the comments. And again, please share with your family and your friends. Have a great day. We're out. All right. Yeah. You've been listening to the beef podcast sponsored by community bank of Texas an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. For more small business stories, follow Beefy Marketing on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. To share your story, visit us at beefymarketing.com. Till next time, thanks for listening to the Beef.